Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the VR2 on SI podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined, as always, by VR2 on SI writer Jake Nichols. Today, we got a good one for you. First, Jake and I will recap the wild Tennessee Ole Miss game from last Saturday night that saw complete meltdown from a few fans in Neyland that resulted in trash throwing onto the field, which led to an 18-minute delay in play. Just a lot of stuff going on with that game, which we're going to get to. And then after that, Jake and I will look ahead to Tennessee, Alabama this weekend. As Mr. Nichols, we are deep into Alabama week already. And people, it is Thursday today, a beautiful fall morning, fairly chilly, 57 degrees here on Rocky Top. It, it's sweater weather season and almost time for uh, pumpkin spice Starbucks drinks. Well, I think they do have those now, so I'm going to have to run over there and get one today. You rock with that type of stuff, Jake? Um, I am all about the fall weather and, you know, Halloween movies and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm not much into pumpkin spice. Ah, okay. It's like, it's like my favorite Starbucks drink. So I was just curious, but I know what you do rock with and that's the Braves three there to one yep. Uh, yep. up on the Dodgers. We know what happened last year. So how you feeling going forward? Uh, cautiously optimistic one more tonight and then I will feel much, much better, but I'm, I'm not going to feel totally at ease until they fully clinch so but even if they lose tonight it's going back to Atlanta yeah you're right you're right but um but you know at this point I mean they're they're so far into it that I'm like even if you even if you do it in LA just go ahead and you know get it done right of course please just don't (laughs) don't don't make fans hold out on the suspense any longer please just you know (laughs) well uh, you've been lucky. You've been fortunate enough to have the Braves consistent for a pretty long time. And you know what? People yeah. want consistency in their lives. And people, we here at VR2 book travel consistently with Acker Travel Company by Dream Vacations. Because if you're looking to book travel at any time this summer but don't want to do all the work, just contact our friends Beth and Price at Acker Travel Company so that they can do all the work for you. If you book with them, they'll throw in a $50 Visa gift card. I mean, 50 free bucks. What is there to lose? Go ahead and give them a call now at 678-983-2172 or visit their website, backer.dreamvacations.com to find that dream vacation you need. That number again is 678-983-2172. All right, Jake, so let's talk Vols, Rebels here. The most exciting game Tennessee has had all season, hands down. It was so good, almost it was almost worth spending an hour on uh, talking, you know, quarter by quarter, I thought in this podcast, but obviously it's not what we're going to do today, trying to not let it go on too long. But I do want to start with the first quarter. You know, Ole Miss gets the ball, starts moving it. Tennessee D makes a killer stop. You know, then the Ole Miss punt, obviously. Then Vellis Jones Jr. muffs the punt, something uncharacteristic of the star return man. And, you know, the Rebels capitalized with Snoop Connor touchdown. How key do you think it was for the Rebels to build that momentum so early on off the Vols air? Um, yeah, I think it was, you know, really key. The fact that they were able to punch it in so quickly was a testament to their offense and was a testament to what they can do with the ball, how dynamic they were with it. You know, we saw all night that Matt Corral tucked it and ran quite a bit and did a stellar job of that. But by the same token, he was able to hand off to Connor, throw to about on screen passes. And like I said, really show out the, uh, the dynamic nature of that offense and how quickly they can put points on the board. And that's what makes you go back and and get frustrated about, you know, muffed punts and about giving them the ball in such good field position. But by the same token, from what we've heard this week, that muffed punt was also a catalyst in showing Tennessee's culture improvement. Because whenever Vila said that he muffed it, that he went over to the sideline, 
he wasn't, you know, yelled at that nobody, you know, was, was mad at him or anything like that, that it was all positive, that they were all encouraging him. They were all uplifting him. And sure enough, we saw the balls come back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a, that's a great thing to hear from Velas on, uh, on Tuesday, but, um, you know, then the Jake, the first quarter didn't really stop there with Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, oddly going, uh, stiff mid play with the ball in his hands later on, you know, Tennessee rips the ball out and Tyler Barron takes it back for six. So we thought, now it's fairly 100% positive. No whistle was ever blown. Either Corral was, I thought, being cute with what he was trying to do in that play, or maybe he heard a whistle um, in his head because of how loud Nealon was. So, Jake, I just want to get your thoughts on this crazy play. You know, really could have changed the changed the game here for Tennessee, but ultimately they said forward progress was stopped and it was no, uh, it was no scoop and score. Yeah, um, I mean, it was a crazy ending for sure the the sec commented on it just a few days ago and you know they actually came out and said that on the play that officials huddled after it and determined that forward progress had been stopped and therefore there's no fumble um and this is a quote that rocky top insider published it is not uncommon for officials that are not certain real time of the status to of that are not certain in real time of the status of a loose ball to let a play finish before gathering together to compare notes to correct to correctly officiate the play. And so it it didn't really go into detail regarding that play. Like they kind of vaguely addressed it. And so I think you would have liked to to have had more information from the conference on that one specifically. Oh, but yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, whenever we were watching on the TV, it it looked like everything was as it should be and looked like he, you know, got the score, but that's not what they called it. And obviously that was a difference in the game. Yeah, everybody, if you missed the play, basically what happened was it looked like a normal play. Literally everybody on the field was playing normally except Matt Corral. He was, you know, obviously you could tell Matt Corral wasn't trying to make a play with the ball. He was standing straight up not moving, and then, you know, Tennessee rips it away and Barron takes it back. It's just really weird, and he didn't go forward, so I don't know. I could say forward progress was stopped, but, you know, I'm not a ref. So Yeah, and, you know, Jack, they uh, also – we asked, you know, Heifel about that after the game, and he said that he really didn't get much explanation from the officials on that or on a lot else throughout the night. And so I think that, you know, regardless of everything with – with Tennessee fans throwing things with obviously that happened later in the night, mm-hmm. but um, just with, you know, two pivotal calls like that and with the reputation that the officiating has established this season, I think that everybody it's no secret is begging the conference to try to do something. And obviously we'll see if they will, but I, I doubt it at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unfortunate for Tennessee to have to, you know, go through these questionable calls in such an important mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, but two, but th- something I was really impressed with with Tennessee as a whole was their defense, their ability to contain Matt Corral through the air. Granted, he had 195 yards rushing, which is not something you want to see. But you know, two plays the Tennessee defense made. I want to get your thoughts on here. Um, the safety Tennessee had a little bit, you know, after the potential scoop and score via Mari Thomas. You know, great kind of comeback in the first uh, quarter here after all that happened. The first vol safety since 2015. So, you know, six-year gap between those really good stuff here from the Tennessee defense. Um, you, you know, it kind of changed the momentum back. I know it was only 7-2 to two after they got the safety, 
but it kind of was like, okay, this is our break. Now let's get rolling. We get the ball back. Just what do you think about the safety? I thought it was really impressive, especially with the way that Tennessee's defensive line got push on that play. You know, um, Willie Martinez talked the other day that that safety was due in part to some great coverage from the secondary because Corral started looking for receivers, couldn't find anything open, and ends up being dropped by Thomas in the end zone. And so, like I said, I thought it was a result of great push by the defensive line, and I thought that the secondary did a great job altogether. Um, obviously, it was a, a pivotal play, and I think really shows the improvement of this defense week to week if you can get to a guy like Corral in that situation. Absolutely, and another great Tennessee secondary play later on uh, in the fourth quarter, actually kind of early on in the fourth quarter, um, was when Matt Corral threw the interception, his first interception of the season to Trayvon Flowers, and, you know, Tennessee was down at that point. They get the ball back uh, down five. Granted, they couldn't do anything off the interception on offense, but as far as just the defense goes, making that play, it's really great to see. Yeah, and I think that, uh, like I said before, it's a testament to that defense and that improvement that we've seen, you know, this defense didn't generate one turnover through the first two games. And all of a sudden they've been red hot and even picking off, you know, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league in Corral, like you said. And so I think that that's really a testament to the secondary. And, you know, they, they talked about that this week and just how much they've improved and why that improvement is due in part to, you know, the, the culture and working harder, but, these guys are balling out right now, and it couldn't come at a better time. Yeah, they've forced a turnover every game since uh, Pitt. Granted, they haven't had a pick every game. Uh, in Florida, they, you know, they forced a fumble, but they forced a turnover. So, you know, really building on that Tennessee defense. And, uh, Jake, later on in the fourth quarter, let's go ahead and talk about the play that really sent fans over the edge here. In the late stages, under two minutes left, Tennessee faced a fourth and 24 from their own 36. They still had all their timeouts at this point, and – now, Hendon Hooker drops back, rolls out, completes a great passing catch to Jacob Warren, who looked like he extended his arm for the first. However, you know, upon review, the officials called him short as his right hand extended, but it seemed the ball was in his left hand, so just a tad short. So what did you think, Jake, of this play call during the stages of this game? I thought it was a great play call, and I thought that it looked like it for a second had worked, that you know, whenever we looked up on the video board from the sideline, it looked like he had gotten across. And yep. of course, fans let their opinion be known in more ways than one. But, uh, but um, yeah, like I said, I thought it was a good play call in the situation. Um, given the way that they've used tight ends this year and worked them in more, Alex Golesh has done a great job in that development with Warren and then with Princeton Fant. And so I think that, um, that in that situation that it's a good call but obviously they ruled him short and that was it yep and um you know I, it led to an 18 minute delay from the fans which i i kind of want to talk about the last play before we get into the fans because it's a whole separate thing you know right so let's go ahead and talk about the last play here old miss after the delay you know everybody kind of had to warm back up uh, but Ole Miss goes three and out. Tennessee expends all three of their timeouts and gets the ball back with uh, just under a minute left. You know, Velas returns the punt past the 50, and all, all of a sudden, momentum's there. Nealon's rocking again. You know, Tennessee's like, let's go. Let's go win this thing. Hennon Hooker gets him down to the 20, but then gets hurt. Uh, looked like a knee injury, and he had to uh, exit. And then here comes Joe Milton. He's got two plays to work with probably. 
first play he misses. Well, he doesn't really miss. It was kind of, it was really close. The pass to Cedric Tillman in the back of the end zone. You know, I feel like if Tillman may have jumped just a tad earlier. He could have gotten a, a better chance at it or Joe Milton just threw it a little lower. It could have been completed, but can't really fault him for that throw. Something you can fault him for is choosing to run on the last play rather than pass. I think he just kind of got past the line of scrimmage and panicked. I don't think he intended to get past the line of scrimmage. Then once he realized he was like, oh, I got to run now. And then just went out of bounds because there was nowhere to go. And that was that was the end of the game. He had to have known he didn't have any time left. There was only three seconds when the play started. So, Jake, what did you think of this final play here that sent the Vols uh, home with a loss? I think that if Hendon Hooker is not healthy going forward this week, and we don't know the answer to that yet, that it shows that Tennessee could be in a rough go of it this Saturday with Milton at the helm. Because if you're going to make a game-changing decision and just take it out of bounds instead of trying for anything, then, you know, that that's, I think, a testament to – the lack of presence of mind there to try to do anything with the ball, you know, yeah. you can, I mean, even, even if you, you know, don't throw it, which is obviously what you're supposed to do there, then at least try to keep twisting and driving your legs and don't just take it out of bounds. Like yes. That is, that is literally just ducking out and saying, okay, game over, you know, don't want to get tackled. We lost. That's it. Yeah, it's and, just I mean, it's it it really honestly confused me for a second because I was I was watching from the Tennessee sideline after we had gotten on the field and was standing there watching him run and all of a sudden I just saw the official wave his hands and everybody was, you know, almost was running on the field. Tennessee was walking off and and I didn't see any more action for Milton. He was just kind of walking back, and I was like, wait, did, did he just run it out of bounds yeah. on, on the last play? Is, is that how this ends? Exactly. You know, in the most, in, is the, in the most anticlimactic way yes. possible after yeah. everything that happened. Like, are you kidding me? And, and especially, you know, going back to, you know, two plays earlier, um, whenever he had – or a player, whatever, whenever he had had Tillman – just inches from the winning touchdown. There was a camera view that I had seen this week that went back and looked at it that showed from the backside, that showed from behind Tillman. And that ball grazed his fingertips and then just fell haplessly to the turf. And so I think that when you get it that close and when you know that you have those kinds of receivers that can make plays, I mean – Going back to, you know, the the Dobbs nail boot against Georgia. I mean, you know, when you throw it up for an athlete like Juwan Jennings, you know, uh, he's not the biggest guy on the field, but he can make plays. And now you've got really tall guys in Cedric Tillman and in Vilas Jones and a really great athlete in Javante Payton that can at least try to make something happen there. So, so how do you not, you know, throw it up? I mean, maybe – yeah. Maybe in that situation you're you're worried about an overthrow, which I guess I get in a way, but you, you got to do something with the ball. And you know, like like Heifel said, he he seemed pretty bad about it too. Just the fact that he didn't try anything with the football. That you got to be able to get it in the end zone. You've got to trust your playmakers, and you can't just bow out by going out of bounds. Oh, of course. You know, you mentioned uh, 
hypo, you know, in the, in the press conference that I don't know who it was. I'm not going to say, even if I did, but someone asked him, um, what do you, you know, what do you think of Milton's decision to run rather than pass? And he just kind of looked for like six, seven seconds of silence. And he was like, I think everyone in this room would have the same opinion. You could just, you yep. could just tell. Yeah, you, could, you could feel how mad he was at, <laughs> yeah. that, at that question. Yeah. Like, like, well, what do you think? I felt like he was supposed <laughs> to, you know, put the ball somewhere else and didn't. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. And Hypo's always been, you know, such a, such a great coach to be in the press conference with, you know, he's always, right. you know, mixing it up, but <laughs> after that, it's hard to keep your spirits high. Um, yeah. But yeah, it led to the Tennessee 31 to 26 loss. And Jake, I want to talk about the fans here. You know, the 18 minute delay from trash throwing, you know, food throwing. There was, I saw a hot dog on the field, disposable vapes, you name it coming from, you know, a lot from the student section, but as well as every, you know, a lot of places in Neyland. Um, obviously, 102,455 fans, it's not everybody. It's probably just a select few. But it happened, and there was enough to make an 18-minute delay, and now it's fining University of Tennessee $250,000. So how does this meltdown from the fans make Tennessee look in your eyes? Um, I'm not going to say that they should have been roasted by the national media the way they were because firstly if you look at other games around the state or other or not other games around the state but other games just around that weekend you know the very next day the Jacksonville Jaguars their fans did trash on the field in London at a soccer game you know we saw the same thing and so firstly it was a really bad reaction and it was embarrassing for the fans that did it. And, but I think it should not reflect on the university and fans as a whole, because yeah. we, what we saw for, for three quarters and 59 minutes was pure electricity from that stadium. And I'm glad to see from videos I've seen this week that after the dust has kind of settled, that that's what people are remembering from that game. But even more than that, you know, I don't that it wasn't just Tennessee fans. There's an article from the Daily Beacon, actually, that I read earlier this week in yeah. which they did a great job looking into, um, you know, asking a few fans that were sitting around the stadium what they saw. And according to them, Apparently, some Ole Miss fans in the upper deck were celebrating and throwing their drinks like they do at Bod Hemingway. And then that spawned some Tennessee fans starting to throw things, and which kind of led to, you know, the, the huge deluge that we saw. But it wasn't just Tennessee fans doing it, first of all. And secondly, the ones that did, it was primarily from, I think, the the upper deck and then the student section but not really much else around the stadium yeah that, you know um and i think that's important to remember obviously like i said it's embarrassing for the the team or for the the fans i should say and for the university for that night that they you know released statements that you know dondi plowman came out with something obviously um, Greg Sankey did, Danny White, Danny White yeah. but I think that, you know, 
it, I think that overall, that aside from that one moment of, of embarrassment that some people I think are harping on too much still, you know, four or five days later, that overall the fan base showed a lot more than that one moment of being really poor sports. And I think that, you know, overall that Josh Heupel said it earlier this week that the passion that these fans showed, even if misdirected for that, you know, minute and a half or whatever, that the passion that they showed is something that can be valued and cherished and is something that I think has been really missed in Tennessee football. And for the most part, Saturday night, it was good to see it back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Heupel said, like going back to kind of what you said, he was like, it, Vol Nation showed out tonight. That wasn't Vol Nation what happened. You know, yeah, we had a great turnout from our fans. So, you know, it's it's a shame that that's a story to be taken away from this beautiful game with all these storylines living up to the hype, you know, a great game. But all Tennessee can do is move on, you know. So, yep. and moving on means Alabama. This Saturday, October 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, one of the toughest opponents Tennessee will face, you know, 14-game streak of Alabama beating Tennessee in the rivalry. Uh, Tennessee's never beat a Nick Saban-Alabama squad. So, Jake, I know Tennessee played well against Ole Miss for the most part, but what do you want to see improvements on as Tennessee goes to the vaunted Alabama this weekend? Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Okay, I think the first thing you need to see is a really good rushing attack. You know, whether it's Tyon Evans or Jabari Small, it's going to be really tough against the defense that Alabama has. But I think the first thing you have to do is establish your run game and get that going on the ground. Nick Saban this week on the on the SEC coaches teleconference talked about what he called Tennessee's best offensive weapon. And he did not name names, but by the way he was talking, he was talking about Tyon Evans. And, you know, from what we saw Jabari Small last week, I think that Jabari has been fantastic, but there's no debating that Tyon has been more explosive. And it was kind of like you said last week, Jack, that, um, that that explosiveness has generated a lot of buzz around number eight in Tennessee's backfield. And so you've got to hope that he's able to come back this week and be fully healthy and that he's able to gash the Alabama defense early or at least establish something to open up that passing game. And I think that other than that, that your, your hope right now is, is more for, for health than, you know, any specific uh, desires for what you want to see out of Hendon Hooker, because we don't know yet whether he's going to play, you know, Josh Heupel, um, didn't say much about Hooker last night, said that he's kind of day, still been day-to-day. Day-to-day, yeah. He's still practicing um, some, but, you know, I am not sure whether we'll see him on Saturday. And if so, you know, could it be in a limited capacity? And so, obviously, like I said, going back to, to what Joe Milton did in that last play against Ole Miss, if that's what you're leaving your offense up to, then – Obviously, you're going to rely on the running game more just because we've seen less accuracy from Milton and we've seen less good decision making or we've seen, you know, um, poor decision making on his part. And so I think that 
Uh, I think it kind of just depends right now for what you want to see based on who goes in and the health status of different guys going into this game. And, you know, that's kind of what makes this game pretty worrisome, I think, is just because there are so many question marks as far as the health of different guys and that that affects your game plan so differently. Yeah, and Cade Mays is a big one, too. You know, he was unavailable for the majority of the Ole Miss game, and Heupel said he was day-to-day as well. So if they can get Hooker, Evans, and Mays back, I think Tennessee's offense will be clicking. But if not, it's going to be tough to put points up on Alabama. And then as far as Alabama putting up points on Tennessee, what do you want to see improvements on in the Tennessee defense? You know, I, I know they did a very good job of holding Corral through the air, but Corral burned him with his wheels. Bryce Young's more of a pocket passer for the Tide, but, you know, he can run as well. So just what do you think? How, how does this Tennessee defense match up with the Bama offense? Yeah, I think that um, that it's really interesting given the stellar performances we've seen in the Tennessee secondary this season. I think that that's um, definitely, you know, their bright spot on defense right now. And that, like you said, that, um, Young is more of a pocket passer, so you've got to be able to play your assignments and, you know, stay with their receivers. They've got um, one of the top receivers in the conference in Jamison Williams. He's got 587 receiving yards so far this year. And then, of course, they've got guys like John Mechie, too, that can make you pay. Mm-hmm. So you've got to play your assignments and be able to stay with guys and, you know, not bite on easy fakes. I think that's one thing we've seen from from Tennessee in the past, or at least, you know, last year and going back is that they would let guys just run wide open after getting behind them in the secondary. And so I think that that's one thing you've really got to pay attention to with Alabama is not letting them get into open space and really trying to press early on as far as that secondary is concerned. Obviously linebacker, you want a continued great improvements from Jeremy Banks, he is leading the team in tackles and tackles for loss right now has just been spectacular and flying around the field. Absolutely. But you need to see a you need to see a big game from him this week to be able to shut down Alabama's offense. And um, like I said, just just play assignment football all around. And I think that that it won't make it easy to handle, but it might lighten the load a little bit just by playing on your keys and and not biting on easy stuff. If you were Tennessee's defense, defense coordinator, if you were Tim Banks, what would you be telling your squad to look out for most, Bryce or Bryce Young or Brian Robinson? Um, I'd be telling them to look out for a two-headed monster and to be able to strap it on either way because I think that is a uh, a loaded backfield that I think is equally powerful no matter how you slice it. I think that you know. Um, they can both be really good. Um, as far as passing, I would say, obviously, you know, look out for, for Young to be in the pocket a little more. Mm-hmm. But I think that, uh, that, like you said, they can both tuck and run. And Brian Will- or Brian Robinson, excuse me, uh, I guess I was thinking of Smash Williams for a second from Friday Night Lights. Um, but, uh, but, man, Brian Robinson, he is a load to tackle. And, you know, Theo Jackson talked about that a little bit this week, too, whenever I was asking about Bryce Young, that he also – or Bryce Young and their receivers, that he also keyed on Robinson and and just what a threat he is as well. So, um, you know, I, I take it back. Instead of a two-headed monster, I think I would say a, uh, 
a three-headed monster because that's what Alabama brings. And I think regardless of, of what point you key on, that you've got to be aware of the other two. And so I think that you can't really, you know, key on one specific thing in this game. Obviously, you know, Young is going to be able to make some plays out of the backfield and is going to probably have plenty of time. So I think that the biggest thing for at least containing him is to get a good pass rush, kind of like we saw them try to do against Corral, who just took off and ran. And so you've got to get better containment and try to keep it at bay the best you can. Right, absolutely. And this matchup of offenses between Tennessee and Alabama is really interesting because, you know, granted, Hinton Hooker hasn't played the whole season. He missed, you know, you know, he missed some time early on when Joe Milton was the starter. But it's really a matchup between two of the SEC's best quarterbacks so far this season. You know, Hooker's up there in efficiency rating. He's been really solid. But it's also a matchup between two of the best SEC running backs and Tyon Evans and Brian Robinson. When Tyon Evans has been on the field, he's been an absolute stud. And Brian Robinson has really come along. So that brings me to my uh, kind of over-under predictions here that we always do with previewing games. But I'm going to kind of twist it. Who has more passing yards in Tennessee, Alabama, Hendon Hooker or Bryce Young? I'm going to go Bryce Young. Okay. And that doesn't change if Joe Milton plays, right? Like, you're still going young. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, if Tyon Evans plays, who has more rushing yards, Brian Robinson or Tyon Evans? I'm going to go Tyon on this one. I think that he's explosive enough that if he's healthy, then he'll be able to generate quite a bit. I like it. I like it. Okay. And uh, let's go over under. So you said Bryce Young will have more passing yards over under 250 passing yards from the tide against Tennessee. I'm going to go over on that one. And same thing for Tennessee, 250. I'm going to go slightly under. Okay. All right. And do you think Tennessee gets to 150 rushing yards total as a team? They've done it, I think, every single game since Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right. And what's your score prediction? I'm going to go 49 to 31 Alabama. Okay. So Tennessee covering by a good margin, eight points there. Yeah. And let's see. So does that cover the spread? Spread 67. What'd you say? Yeah. I think that covers. Well, I, I will say, actually, I, I take that back. I will say 49 to 31 Alabama if Hinton Hooker Place. is remotely available. Yeah. Yeah, and that co- that does cover the spread. 67 is the official spread right now. That covers it by 13. And, Jake, I kind of want to turn it over to you. Uh, talk to our listeners about the article you submitted, Tennessee, Alabama, kind of a preview, uh, talking about, you know, you had a beautiful title. It was great. Uh, was it like uh, ex- uh, reuniting of old flames and extinguishing of old methods? I love that. And uh, you talked about Brandon Turnage, you know, returning to Alabama. Obviously, he's an Alabama transfer DB. And Henry Tootoo playing – Tennessee this weekend and all what comes with that. So I just kind of want to let you talk to our listeners about all of this heading into Tennessee, Alabama. Yeah. So, um, firstly, Jack, I, uh, I appreciate the the shout out. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I kind of went into a little bit of the, the history of Tennessee and Alabama and just what a historic rivalry this is. Alabama leads the series 58 to 37. There are eight ties between these schools. And obviously, you know, like I said in the the article, Tennessee is a long way removed from whenever Johnny Majors got his last win over Bear Bryant or whenever uh, whenever Peyton Manning ran the bootleg to fool everyone in Birmingham and in 1995, which 
Jack, you and I were not even around for that. So um, that's definitely really not. Back. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, like Jack said at the beginning of this pod, or at least whenever we moved along to Alabama, um, Nick Saban is 14 and 0 against Tennessee. And so obviously the, the Vols are going to need a, a great game this Saturday to try to pull anything off. But since Saban has been at Alabama, you know, it's unbelievable how many changes have unfolded. Obviously, Tennessee, especially with everything going on with Jeremy Pruitt right now, is in a very different spot. But, um, yeah, Tennessee is facing an, uh, an, old, an old flame or friend, I guess, whatever you want to call it and Henry Toa Toa, who whenever he left for Alabama, you know, you heard all this chatter from Tennessee fans. Oh, he's he's not even going to start there. You know, he's just dampening his, you know, road to the NFL. He's going to be a second or third string, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, now he's leading the team in 25 tackles, and he is flying around for the Crimson Tide just like he did for Tennessee. So, um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to – to see the balls face off against him on Saturday. Velas Jones talked about how excited he is to play against him and that they still, you know, kind of communicate a, a decent bit that they'll catch up after the game. But then obviously Brandon Turnage too, um, after having come from Alabama this offseason, he has, I think, quickly made a name for himself in Tennessee's secondary, you know, obviously um, behind Theo Jackson right now. But whenever he started in place of him for that, uh, South Carolina game he racked up 14 tackles two for loss and garnered an SEC defensive player of the week award in his very first start and so I talked about in the column how that kind of speaks to Tennessee's culture change because going back to that week um, you know whenever Jackson knew he wasn't going to play he worked with Turnage prepped him in the film room got him ready and helped coached up this younger guy to have him ready to play in his spot and yeah. so that, I think, really speaks to the culture change that Josh Heupel has instituted and just, like I said, the, um, the different methods that they're using because Velas talked about the positivity that he's seen from the sideline and just the fact that, you know, nobody really cusses in practice, that, you know, they talk to them and teach them as opposed to just yelling at them, which is a far cry from what we saw under Jeremy Pruitt. And I think is is different than what Nick Saban did or has done or is at least at least famous for in his tirade. So, um, yeah, sorry, I, I rambled a little bit. There, no, you're but, fine. Uh, just trying to, you know, uh, address everything in there. But but, yeah, um, I appreciate the, uh, the shout out and y'all go give it a read. Uh, I tried to, you know, go into as much of the history as I could on this rivalry and and just kind of the different, you know, look of it going into this week. Yeah, and, you know, people have been asking Josh Heupel, is it still a rivalry? Because Tennessee hasn't won in so long, but he has affirmed that it's still a rivalry and it still means a lot to this team and to this fan base. It's going to be a big weekend. Uh, you know, granted, it's in Alabama, so us here on Rocky Top won't get to experience it uh, for this year. But, uh, Jake, you know, you mentioned Jeremy Pruitt a little bit ago. Do you have time to go into Pruitt? I know you have to go to the availability soon. So you want to talk about it now or we can do a bonus pod tomorrow? What do you want? Um, we can talk about it a little bit right now. All right, so let's talk about Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> you know, it's a saga going on right now with between Pruitt yeah. and the University of Tennessee. He's lawyered up. He's going to sue Tennessee. All this crazy stuff. Calling out Rick Barnes. You just can't can't do that. Rick Barnes is shoving it right back in his face. I want to get your takes on all that's going on with this situation. 
Um, yeah, firstly, I loved that Rick Barnes comes back and was like, you know, just uh, almost like a, a parent with a small child, just not even that he's mad. He's disappointed, you know, that that he would bring up his name and any connection with that. And, you know, telling the NCAA, hey, you know, you guys have any questions? Come on in. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, and and so I think that really speaks to to obviously Barnes. um transparency but also just the fact that nobody wants to be tied in remotely with what Jeremy Pruitt is doing and I think it's a little more muddy when you get in the case of of Philip Fulmer who obviously um you know resigned but is still being paid the um money per Mm -hmm. month if he were fired so I think that it gets a little more muddy there when you when you look at him. But he issued a statement too, you know, saying, you know, essentially, Jeremy, you brought this on yourself. Don't don't involve anybody else in it. And so right. um, I think that that it really creates a lot of drama. And like I said in the in the column, man, it's a, a soap opera all its own, like every week in the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it right there. And, you know, I guess I should have done a better job introducing this, but if you haven't heard people, it's Jeremy Pruitt is threatening to, you know, talk about all this dirt he has on Tennessee essentially and on the other coaches, other people of the athletic department. And, you know, he's not going to win. It doesn't seem like it's going to amount to anything. I think Pruitt's just mad and he's trying to make something out of nothing. Um, I I think this will be blown over soon. So. But I think that I think that there is one question I have, though, that if you're the university, you know, you really must be confident in uh, whatever you think he does or doesn't have, because in I mean, in what I've seen, you know, in typical situations like this, we see a, a former coach coming after a school or something like that. And the school typically just settles right off the bat, just writes a check. That's it. And, you know, not wanting to to let themselves get mired in any controversy here. But Tennessee, essentially, according to that report, and we want to make sure and say this, too, that that Blake Topmeyer was the one from yes. the USA Today Network that came out with this bombshell article Absolutely. revealing all this information. And in that, um, you know, in one of the, the emails that he mentioned, that essentially Tennessee, instead of saying, OK, you know, we'll settle um here's a check we cut and we'll we'll move on you know both parties satisfied uh, tennessee on the other hand is like you know bring it on you know yeah. <laughs> we'll see what you got and so i think that regardless of the the outcome here that we are about to uh to see some interesting stuff unfold so you know i guess like lane kiffin said before they played alabama bring popcorn it's about to get interesting yeah it's just you know with Tennessee being so confident in their case you know like you're saying it makes it almost laughable because you have to think Tennessee has more power than Pruitt it's like oh if you're this confident then what are you doing Jeremy Pruitt you know like come on man um but it's definitely something to keep an eye on and as always Jake VR2 myself will always keep you up to date on everything regarding Tennessee sports be sure to follow Jake at J Nichols underscore 2121 go ahead and follow VR2 on SI at vr2 on si and give your host a follow as well while you're at it at jack foster tv everybody thank you so much for listening and allowing jake and i to do what we love week in and week out and that is to talk tennessee sports for jake nichols i'm jack foster and this will wrap up this episode of the vr2 on si podcast we will see you soon